You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Let's start today's episode out with a question. Are you still wearing the cape? Do you still feel like it's your responsibility to save black men to defend black men, to support the collective of black men, to build them up. Are you still wearing the cape? I know for me, I wore the cape for a long time and it manifested mostly in my romantic commitments or I'll say my romantic connections because I wasn't romantically, I wasn't committed to a lot of the men that I felt the need to save and they weren't committed to me. So we'll say romantic connections. But I think that is the case for a lot of black women based on, well, for me, it was based on two different societal pressures that I felt were really strong. So on the one hand, women in general are kind of defined by their relationship status or the willingness of a man to claim her. And then on the other hand, for black women in particular, the other thing was this expectation for black women to be the ride or die or to hold black men down or support him and stuff through, you know, tough times and build him up and all that. So those two things combined kind of made me feel like it was my job to save black men and to, you know, support them and prop them up, especially in romantic Uh, romantic context because that was the way for them to see me as worthy of claiming and I can think of this one time when I was in undergrad I was talking to this guy emphasis on talking because we were not in a relationship we never made it to a relationship I was talking to this guy and he was not particularly good to me in fact he was kind of trash kind of really trash really really trash but anyway that's neither here nor there um he I was talking to this guy and he was applying to this opportunity that he really wanted and he was an artist so he drew really well but he didn't feel like he wrote well enough to you know write a letter of interest that would get him this opportunity and he knew that I was an English major and I could write my ass off so he asked me to write it for him and you know me I'm thinking okay this is my chance you know to prove that I'm down I'm gonna write this and I'm gonna make him sound so good and I got you know I collected more information about him about his like accomplishments and stuff in terms of art and all this shit so I could put in the letter and make him sound amazing because that's what you do And these things you boast about yourself and your accomplishments, blah, blah, blah. So I spent a lot of time on this letter, um, perfecting it and making him sound amazing. And I give it to him and he's like, oh, thanks. This is great. So some time passes and I don't really hear anything else about the opportunity. So I I ask him, okay, well, you know, what happened with the letter and, and this opportunity? And he goes, oh, I didn't use your letter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I I worked hard on that letter. What do you mean you didn't use it? And he told me, oh, well, it was very casually. Oh, well, it was too good. So <laughs> they would probably know it wasn't, it wasn't me. So I didn't use it. Like, bruh, <laughs> I put in so much work. And I feel like that's such a fitting story to have someone who has his ex first of all who's not really doing anything to pour into you because he wasn't who's not really doing anything to pour into you but like wants you to do something that's going to help him advance and move forward and build him up you know with this opportunity but then for (laughs) him for him to kind of like just be like thanks but nah 
and not use it after all. And yeah, so that, you know, that kind of mindset continued where I felt like, okay, I want to do whatever I can to help black men. It continued. I was an undergrad when that happened. So I was like 19. But as I finished undergrad and went to work on my master's I was about 21 22 and that's really still how my master's became about saving black men as well because I still had that mindset and like I said it manifested a lot in romantic context so I had this idea when I started my master's program that I wanted to understand why relations between black men and black women were so fraught. But the thing was, I wanted to understand it from a black man's perspective. I wanted to get inside the mind of a black man and understand, you know, he's got all these things working against him, all these institutions in place that, you know, impede his progress and all these systems of oppression and blah, blah, blah. He's endangered. All this other stuff. I wanted to understand all that pressure that I was told that black men feel and how it impacted their relations with black women in the context of romantic relationships. So never mind that black women also have challenges. Never mind that these same institutions discriminate also discriminate against black women and in some instances were more marginalized marginalized within within these institutions because of patriarchy and sexism and misogynoir um never mind any of that i needed to understand it from a black man's perspective because they were the ones who needed saving and so i that's what i did i devoted my thesis to black masculinity. And actually I wrote an article from my thesis, from part of my thesis that you can still, I think you can still find it today. It was called, um, act like a lady, think like a patriarch, black masculine identity formation within the context of romantic relationships, long ass academic ass title. But, um, I wrote, I published an article from part of my thesis. And to be honest, I will never ever go back and read that article. (laughs) I'll never go back and read my thesis because I'm kind of embarrassed about what I put out there. And the, so I got, so part of it, I got right. Like the patriarchy part, I got right. The power dynamics part, the, the understanding women's subjugation, to men in society in a lot of spaces. I got that part right. What I got wrong was women's black women's role in helping black men along. So I like I feel like I framed it as this this is how black women can help black men. This is how black women can you know be the backbone and be their support and and it's honestly I guess why I look back on it and I am embarrassed by it is because that's not what we deserve. Like we don't deserve to have our role be to to change black men or to to help them grow or it's just not it's not what we should be devoting our lives to. So I'm really glad to be delivered from that mindset. But yes, there is evidence still out there that I thought that way and that I believed that it was my role and black women's role in general to help shape black men and black masculinity and stuff. I I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, this is a reminder to myself and a reminder to you. If you still have the cape on, take it off, sis.
So we finally have our guest for today with us. Who <laughs> is the founder of Yo Mama? <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm good. You know, I'm a little sleepy. What is this? Monday? It's Monday. So, you know, you know how Mondays go. Um, so, let's get into it. You grew up in LA, correct? Yes, ma'am. I sure as fuck did. <laughs> it was, it was so a wonderful experience. <laughs> was it? Was that sarcasm or are you, were you for real? It was a little bit of both. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, clearly, I'm here in Atlanta now, and I, I'm not going back to L.A., so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I understand that, because I'm here in Baltimore, and I almost, I went to my mom's for Thanksgiving, and I almost did not renew my lease to come back to Baltimore. Really? <laughs> almost, but, I, but also, it's partly because, um, you know, I moved right after, no, right before the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't get a chance to feel, get a feel for the city wow. or, you know, go to any surrounding cities because I'm close to DC and New York right. and all that stuff. But, so, I didn't get a chance to do anything before the pandemic happened. So, only thing I know about Baltimore is my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. So, yeah, I'm going to come back. Yeah. So, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, Tell me about. <laughs> Your background um, and like how you grew up because you mentioned since you are the founder of Yo Mama, you mentioned on your website that you grew up with a mission to save black men, and it was because of how you saw black men uh, experience being locked up and things like that. So tell me about mm-hmm. your background and how it led you to kind of having this mission to save black men. So uh, I grew up in LA, and in LA. Very cliche. A lot of my friends in high school, after high school, was dying or going to jail or kicking it for the most part. Me and my homegirls was pretty much the core group that actually went to went off to college and, you know, did all that. And so but a lot of our homeboys that we were close with weren't really doing a whole lot after high school. And this is pretty much immediately after high school. So. My interest has always been criminal justice because of an incident I had in high school where I got arrested. So from there on, I was kind of like hell bent on like seeking justice for people, period. Right. Because I was so I couldn't believe that that shit happened to me. And so uh, I was just on a mission to, to figure out how I what I can do to assist people that look like me in the system. And then because I never saw me as the issue or it, it, I still couldn't believe that it happened to me. It had to happen outside of me. Right. So who can I help that is outside of me? And that would be black men because they we were it, it was a it was a it was a space where a lot of my homegirls and I were elevating and they were kind of staying the same. So what can I do to assist them so that they can kind of, you know, be at least growing to where we're becoming. And so that kind of brought me to, well, let me see what I can do. So I would, you know, help the homies with the resumes and with the jobs. And since a lot of them had went to jail, I would have to really research 
jobs for felons and shit like that. So that's kind of what started it, I guess. Um, and then once I kind of got more into my studies in undergrad, it became more of a research topic for me because I was trying to figure out where where do you begin with the health? Is it after high school? Is it before they even get to high school? Is it at the elementary age? Like, where does this start so that we can kind of change the fucking trajectory of what these men's outlook on life or outcome in life is going to be? So that's kind of what led me there. And then a lot of it was me being codependent. And that's kind of what I realized as an adult is because because I my focus was always outside of myself because I needed to be needed. That is where I got my value from is what I can offer to these men as far as in helping them grow and elevate and secure job opportunities and go to school and that kind of thing. So as an adult, I'm looking back like I was really trying to be these people's moms or or whatever just because I didn't want to go deep and figure out what was going on with me. So so question. So you you said you got arrested in high school and still somehow <laughs> even though it happened what wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> because that shit just sound funny. You got arrested in high school. <laughs> Listen, well, I was about to say something, but I ain't gonna say that because I ain't gonna put my business out there. <laughs> exactly. However, <laughs> I'm wondering what it was that, even though you did experience, you did have some experience with the criminal justice system in terms of being arrested, what it was that mm-hmm. still made you not be able to see yourself or Black women in right. general as right. needing help in the criminal justice yeah. system? Yeah. No. No self-value. Because I remember thinking that I remember attaching my worth to what I can do for other people. So the only way that I felt like I was worth anything or I was contributing to the world, period, is through me helping people. And why Black men, I assumed they needed the most help. There was nothing that I ever had come across that said Black women needed help. Because a lot of my, even though I was an African-American studies major in undergrad, that was not the topic of the conversation. It was never about Black women and what we need. And I don't know if that's because I wasn't taking Black feminism classes or what, or why we can only talk about Black women in Black feminist classes, you know, type courses. So that was kind of weird to realize later on is that I completely just focused in on them because that is how I saw my work is how much I could help them. Mm -hmm. You know, I can relate to that because my, my master's is in African-American studies and my thesis was on, well, I remember going into it thinking I want to understand black men and you know Mm -hmm. why they they go through so much Mm -hmm. and how it impacts the relationships with us and shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got that from somewhere too. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I can pinpoint, of course, I can't pinpoint like a specific source, but I feel like it was maybe like you mentioned, it was in the lack of centering black women. So like we weren't the topic of conversations or our issues mm-hmm. weren't the topic of conversations or mm-hmm. uh, discussions or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, I grew up with that too. And I also have some codependency too. Listen, are we about to have a therapy session? <laughs> no, most of my conversations now end up as like a therapy session because it'd be like, yeah, because this is how I felt and I learned that I was projecting. Like it, it's, it, it all starts with how you feel about yourself, everything. <laughs> so how did that work out for you in terms of your codependency and your need to like save black men specifically? It did not work out how I thought it would be. I don't know what I was very like, I'm going to be a martyr for black folks. Like I just thought that I was just going to give my life to this and, and that just be who I was someone who just, gave everything and received nothing in return because the I thought that the point of giving was not to receive. So it sounds very like idealistic and I don't know why the fuck I held myself to that kind of unrealistic standard, but that is what that is what I convinced myself of to do the work that I thought I was supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't until I got to I met my homegirl at Georgia State, and she kind of like threw her. Nobody has ever asked me the type of questions that she asked me, and so and I was uncomfortable. I'm like, "You my fucking coworker. I'm not about to tell you my business." But <laughs> but it ended up really allowing me to reflect on myself, and so a lot of the things that I was thinking, you know, other people needed from me, I needed from me. And that was just like, okay. So let's let's go back a little bit because you kind of glossed over it. Wait a minute now. So <laughs> you, I don't, if you want to share, you don't have to. But if you want to, you said you had an early midlife crisis that led oh, you to girl. talking to your coworker and stuff. So do you want to go into more detail? Girl, and oh, and I would also like to know the types of questions that she asked because I think you know maybe other mm-hmm. people could be able to that. Right. So when I turned thirty. That was the midlife crisis because it's like, you should be doing this. You should have this. You're supposed to be like this. You're supposed to be 30 under 30 list. Like, what? I don't know what the fuck. I just really had a. <laughs> I'm like, am I a narcissist? What did I, why did I think that I was supposed to be <laughs> doing all of this or had accomplished all of this? And my ass is living a, a regular ass life. Like you wasn't 30, 30 hits you like a ton of bricks. Like what? <laughs> Girl, everything changed. I had so much anxiety. I've never had, I didn't even, I barely knew what anxiety was in my 20s. But when I hit 30, I said, I told my cousin, I said, I feel like I can't breathe all the time. Like I feel like there's a lump in my throat. It's like, girl, that's anxiety. What the fuck? And I was like, oh. That's crazy. Well, let's let's see how we can work that out. So, <laughs> so that was the midlife crisis: is me turning thirty and thinking I had not accomplished anything since graduating from uh, my master's program. So that really took me the fuck out. Like I was like, "What are you doing? You you're not doing anything." And it took for her to begin to ask me, like, "Well, why do you think that you didn't accomplish anything? Why do you think that you have to?" accomplish things why do you think that you have to accomplish these milestones in your life to for your life to even be worth anything and i'm like girl i'm at work i, I can't be crying so stop asking me shit like 
podcast. But it was those kinds of questions. She interrogated the why, and I had never thought about the why. And so that's kind of what had me doing more self-reflection and, and reading Eckhart Tolle and however you say that nigga name, and just more of this and listening to Super Soul Sunday with Oprah and stuff like that. And, you know, them people that she invite on her show, I don't really fuck with her, but the people that she invite on her shows kind of give you more insight into spirituality and, and that kind of thing too. So that's what made me begin to question what my intentions were in my life and were they to save other people or save myself? <laughs> because why aren't you why aren't you worth saving at this point? What do you feel like you changed about your approach to saving black men? Mm. Now I don't too much give a fuck. I mean I do, but <laughs> God <laughs> say it. I mean I do, but a lot of the excuses that I made for them I no longer do. So my tolerance for bullshit is not as high as it was because I know that if I can make the effort to to be a better person or to think outside of myself or, you know, different kinds of things like that to where, you know, I'm more aware of how other people feel, I think that you can do the same thing. And that's just my expectation. My expectations of myself are pretty high. So now it's just even more. I no longer feel obligated to have or to to not feel how I feel for the sake of allowing them to to feel how they feel like they're worth more than than, than what I'm worth so my approach now is more of whatever I feel I'm gonna go with that regardless of how it makes you feel or you know how you how you see my actions or whatever now it's it's more about me and I don't need you to need I want you to be able to do your own thing on your own accord and, and grow on your own. I don't want to be the person that builds you or saves you or anything like that because a lot of that is ego too, I realize, is that me saving people was part of feeding my ego. Like what what kind of what does that grant you because you are saving people? And so I don't want to be someone that operates out of ego. I want to operate out of compassion for people. And compassion for myself so I have to learn how to set boundaries and stuff like that and honor myself just like I would honor you you know and what your boundaries are and how you feel so yeah, yeah. and so you touched on something <laughs> I think is a problem with a lot of black women in terms of feeling like it's our mission to save black men and without ego um mm-hmm. I think a lot of black women struggle with that I think that a lot of black mm-hmm. women have a codependent relationship with black mm-hmm. men in that you want to be needed by them mm-hmm. and we do become their mothers and mm-hmm. I think it's it, to our detriment because mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot of, I, as a collective I don't think that black men feel that obligation or right. that tied to us to you know right. be, save us and stuff like that so yeah. So how have you found that your sense of self or your well-being or your mental health or whatever has changed since you have started to focus inward more instead of saving black men? I feel a lot better. I'm still anxious. So I'm still trying to get past that because I'm still anxious about pretty much everything. And I think that's just because I'm fucking old. So 
I'm old. I just feel old. So I just be like, girl, I can't even drive at night at this point. I just, I just be anxious about everything. Like, you know how old your mama used to think of all kind of crazy shit that could happen to you when you just go into the store. Like that's me now. So I don't know. I'm trying to get past that. Like, thirties is not old. Okay, I refuse. It's not. <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> That's how I feel. I had a friend call me middle aged the other day, and I was like, because I got a, I got a puppy, and she was like, You are a middle aged mama. And I was like, Bitch, I am not middle aged, okay? <laughs> but that's how it feels. So I'm trying to work on that, but I have noticed that, that I am a lot more, I don't expect, I don't have as high as expectations of people as I would normally have because I, just saw myself as somebody just trying to be the perfect person so that I can serve in the way that I thought that I should be serving. So I think that uh, people gain more, especially the the kids that I work with, with me just being myself and being honest about my experiences and stop trying to be this perfect person. So that's, uh, that was a lot of it as well as me just being more cognizant of when I am being codependent and how my, how I'm attached to people and how that, does not serve me or them when I'm when I'm feeling like that or you know just working on my mental health and my relationship with my mother and other people because a lot of times what comes with codependency is resentment because nobody's going to give like you and nobody and especially if they don't know how you receive they're they're not going to be able to meet your needs and so that's just impossible for other people to meet and that's just not a a requirement you should, you know, put on people because they'll never meet your expectations. Really. So how much of how much of your feeling like you need to needed to save people and devote your life to service of other people, mm-hmm. how much of that do you feel like was related to you being a black woman? Or do you feel like it was related to you being a black woman? Absolutely. Now that you say that, I think that that is probably yeah. <laughs> that's exactly where that comes from being a black woman and thinking that the only other person a black man could depend on is us so we have to like we really don't even have a choice at this point and the and a couple with me not growing up with a father or a male figure you know how could I have saved my dad you know what I mean how could I have saved how could I save my brother who does not have a male figure so and that was a role that I took on that nobody asked me to take on. And I had to, you know, think about that, too. Like, nobody asked you to do that. So why did you think that that's something that you had to do? Like, I legit tried to be a father to my brother. And that's just ass backwards. Like, that's just not going to work. But the fact that I thought that I could be of service to him because he didn't have his dad and I didn't have a dad. And, and how can I be? there for him was was a big part of it too i think that's a question a lot of black women could benefit from who asked you to do that (laughs) who asked you to do that because nobody asked you and then you have an attitude about doing it but you still do it (laughs) but nobody asked you to do that so why do you feel obligated to do that and then on top of that you got the nerve to resent the person that asked you that did not ask you to do it. You know what I mean? So that I had to 
really look at myself like, girl, you making up a lot of bullshit that you don't even have to go through because you have this idea of yourself that you're trying to bring into fruition and it's it's just impossible to do. It's not possible. My friend had to tell me the other day, you are human. And that was like, oh, that actually made me feel so much more better. <laughs> yeah, this is why I had to be careful of um, how much Beyonce I ingest. <laughs> how much Beyonce I ingest. Because that bitch is like superhuman. Like, but I have to remember that she has many more resources. Right. Many, many more resources than I do. Right. But if I aspire to like be like her, it's not healthy because <laughs> that bitch be on some other stuff. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so Tell me how this process led to you creating your mama. Oh, so pretty much because I was having a midlife crisis. I'm like, oh, my God, I need to figure out how I'm going to make some money. <laughs> like, I just need to. I should be at least making this much right now. Like, how the fuck can I do that? Nobody's calling your bitch ass back. So the job <laughs> market is not working in your face. So. You got to find something else. So I started looking up like passive ways to make money, right? And a lot, I kept coming across, you know, you can make an ebook. And the fact that we had already, we always, me and my homegirls always thought that it was funny that I was a virgin, but I was still a hoe. So <laughs> I was a virgin for a very long time, but I was still, you know, sit on niggas' faces every once in a while. You know, maybe more often than not. So because of that, we had came up with like, oh, we should make whole kits, which is like, you know, pretty much we all have our whole bag and our, you know, and this is more for younger women because you fucking in cars and shit, right? You're not really at a nigga house. So that's kind of where that started. And I was like, well, I don't necessarily have the funds to create these whole kids, but if I could just write about what I've learned from being a hoe, then I could probably make some money off of that to fund the whole kids. So this is my thinking. This is a, my master plan that I thought I was going to get rich off of and be able to tell niggas I'm doing something with my life, put me on the forward list. Like, that's really what I thought. Girl, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. So that's when that came from. And then, so I said, okay, I'm going to just write this ebook. So that's kind of where it came from. And I'm like, Kayla can pretty much sum up whatever I'm thinking. Say what it's called. Because you said it's ebook, oh, but I don't think, yeah. It's called Hoisms. And so okay. I was like, if we could just write about being a hoe and really just living our lives more freely, because that's kind of where the behavior for me came from was me just being like, I don't care what y'all niggas have to say. I'm going to do what I pretty much want to do. And I'm going to just live my best life. And if there are consequences, then those are the things that I'm going to have to work through. And it's, you know, character development. So, you know, I figured I'm not losing either way. But I knew based on your research and what you were, you know, pretty much studying at the time is that, you can, you could pretty much say more intellectually what I, what I was trying to do, what my purpose of the book was. And so that's why I asked you to, to write the forward, because I knew you could put into words more eloquently, eloquently how 
I was navigating my life on this whole shit. <laughs> <laughs> I read, and I just read it the other day, and I was like, I need to do a, 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 a what is it, a, a volume two, a second, a second edition. <laughs> because we have grown so much from this. So I feel like yes. it would be even better at this point. Like, yes. I have so much more to tell y'all that y'all should not be there. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. So that gives me, that leads me to another question. I don't know. I don't know if you want to, but oh. I would like for you to. Do you have a hotel that you would like to share? <laughs> oh, bitch. So <laughs> I'm crying because I was. The second book or the second book was supposed to be hotel and it was supposed to be the whole stories of my homegirls. And so I have been working on that and kind of put it to the side because I started doing the T-shirts and shit. So that was so funny that she had came out with that album because I was like, oh, I was definitely supposed to do that. Jasmine uh, Sullivan. Huh? Jasmine Sullivan. Yes. Jasmine Sullivan. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, but uh, a whole story... I have so many. Uh, well, I can tell you when I, I made up in my mind that I was going to have a one night story and I was just, that was going to be like, that was the, the goal. Like I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that shit. And this was after I broke up with a, not a real boyfriend, but I guess somebody that I thought was my boyfriend. So <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a man that I was, Thought I was in a relationship, like I was in the relationship, but he wasn't. But it was like a total of like 10 years, right? And this is a man that took my virginity, so or I gave my virginity to. So I I felt like I had to prove something to myself. So we went to Miami and I was like, Yep, it's gonna it's gonna happen. So we meet these niggas, of course. Uh <laughs> They're there for a, a bachelor party or something like that. So we meet them. We get faded. Somehow I ended up in the van that they was that they had. It was his older brother. So it was more family oriented bachelor party, not just like a gang of niggas. It was no like gang bone type shit. It was, it was very like. <laughs> A wholesome bachelor party is awesome as it can get, right? So, <laughs> just to set the scene. So, I end up with this man, and the homegirls end up with the friends somewhere else, and I end up going back to the house with him. So, I'm like, yep, this is all I feel like girl manifestation. So, I'm just, so we end up fucking with or whatever, right? And I'm feeling like, yeah, I just, fuck you, nigga, and I'm not planning on calling you. Like, that was my approach, right? And so, <laughs> so after, so my friend busted in and everything, and she was, what are you doing, Chloe? And then, <laughs> that's the part I almost forgot. She busted in, talking about, what are you doing? But not while we were doing, we was, we were asleep by that time. And then she ended up sucking his brother's dick in another room. It was, it was crazy, right? So, so, we ended up, uh, we was about to leave, right? And so I'm like, yeah, I don't even know this nigga name, I don't think. We was just calling him Stallion, so, because <laughs> he was a big-ass nigga. So I'm in the car, and we finna leave, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, huh? Close the door to drive off. He stopped the car like, wait, I didn't get your number. And I immediately was like, 
fuck. Like, that's not part of the plan. <laughs> so I ended up giving him my number. Oh. And then, uh, so when I get home, right. So I'm like, no, because at this point, I can't even check my shit off my list because now you have my number. Like, that's not part of the one night stand rule. So I, I end up getting home. He called and he like FaceTimed me while he was in the dark. And that shit was weird to me. And I immediately blocked that nigga. Like, it was <laughs> no, it is good. I'm like, you know, you wasn't even supposed to make it back to fucking Atlanta. You, no. And he lived in New Jersey or something. And I was just like, no. And so I blocked that nigga. I ain't seen that nigga since. So <laughs> I accomplished my goal. <laughs> but know? was that worth it? Like, what? No, girl, what the fuck is What? Like? You don't think it was worth it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was. I, 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 I do and I don't. Like he, he was fucking with a lambskin condom, so it kind of like made me bleed a little bit. It was dry. It just wasn't a good experience. So. Okay, so <laughs> this. Okay, so I have had, I have had a, I've actually also had a goal to have one night stand. I just never have because I can never find a nigga that don't say no stupid shit to ruin it first. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and that's why you're gonna do that shit out of town. <laughs> that and I'm scared it'll be like that where like it's not even that good or it's not worth no. it. And so, right. <laughs> <laughs> or if you do, don't get drunk, get high. Shit. There you go. <laughs> thank, you for that. thank you for that hotel. Uh, <laughs> So after Hoisms, you put that book out in 2017 and then you moved to um, your auntie type mm-hmm. of merchandise. Mm-hmm. How did you move into um, doing that? So after the so after I put the book out, I realized because it's fucking graphic, how do you promote this? So, <laughs> <laughs> so because I was having a hard time promoting it like I couldn't buy ads because it had graphic language in it it's hella niggas in there like people are not going to I'm surprised Amazon published it at this point but (laughs) 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 that was the the challenge with that so I kind of like stepped away from it a little bit and kind of focused more on trying to increase my income via getting another position somewhere so I finally got another position somewhere. And so now I'm making some money, but I still feel unfulfilled because I'm basically doing the same thing. And it's not, I don't have a lot of creative control over what I'm doing. So I needed some kind of creative outlet. And so I would just be on my computer at work making shit, like, like graphic design shit. So I was like, well... I could probably sell t-shirts. So I started looking into like, cause I've always wanted to do t-shirts. I just never had the capacity to, because you need a lot of money up front to buy shirts and you gotta get niggas to buy it. It's just a lot of work. So I found out how to actually drop ship. And so from there I was like, Oh, I didn't even got it. All I got to do is design this shit. Cool. Put it on a website and niggas buy it and run ads and all of that. Cool. That's easy. But I was like, well, what would what would I be, you know, what would be my line? 
And then I started thinking about the things that were important to me and, and how this is really just a reflection of, of who of me growing and who I'm becoming and everything else. And I just want other people to to see it. And if it if it hits home for them, then they will be interested enough to buy it. And so the auntie thing was a big thing for me because that was one of the biggest events in my life as well. And so it's, it's just a big part of who I am. So that's kind of where I started it. And there was already like, I think, buzz on the internet. We was talking about somebody, somebody something was really cliche at the time. It was like somebody's son. I think we was that was like a thing on the internet. Somebody's son. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, what about somebody auntie? And so that kind of it kind of came from out of that. And so I'm like, yeah, it's really a lifestyle because we just a bunch of bitches that <laughs> like eating and going to brunch and living our lives and taking care of kids because a lot of it is me and my homegirls the homegirls that do have kids you know we are their aunts like through blood or not we are responsible for these children and that's kind of how I feel in the work that I do because I work with kids I work with even if these motherfuckers have grown these 18 high school college age kids for me I'm responsible for them because I am required to give them advice so and that everybody who is younger than me is is I consider one of my kids if I'm required to or if I take it upon myself to somehow mentor you or be there for you in some capacity so that's kind of where that came from and I just went with it and, and people loved it they loved it more than I thought they would and now I'm kind of obligated to keep going so I was like well shoot let me I guess I'll keep going <laughs> That's how I feel about this podcast, honestly. <laughs> you know I was on your head about this. Like, girl, please. We need to hear Damn, what you got to show. Like, I gotta keep putting on episodes exactly. now. I'm waiting on Snapchat like, damn, she didn't post nothing today. Like, I know she got a story. What? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Well, that's good. Way to turn in turn something that's important to you into something that right. uh, is is also beneficial to you. So that's right. cool. Right. Real auntie shit. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so are you actually gonna do this hotels project? It's gonna be another book. Or are you actually yes. gonna do it? So this is supposed to be an actual like book, right? But how I wanted to set it up was it was more of a conversation between homegirls. So how, like I just told you the story, that's how I want it to be written in the book. Like with the commentary, like, so wait, bitch, did you do this? Like, you know, that kind of, that kind of back and forth, because I feel like that's important with black women when we have conversations, like all the commentary, the memes, all of that, it makes the story. So that's kind of, that's definitely what I would, that's what I want to do. I just have to make the fucking time for it because it is consuming yes. to do that. Yes, yes. Well, I'm excited for it. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> or I can't wait to see it. Um, so speaking of books, what is one, this is one thing I like to ask uh, all the guests at the end. What is one book or resource that has been formative for you? Off the top of my head, I'm sure it's something from way back in the day, but off the top of my head, I would say uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, that that changed my life, like 30 30 plus life, because it taught me about ego and 
really that everything, all the distress that is caused in your life is, is primarily comes from your, your thoughts. And so if you can control how you perceive things or how you think about things and, and how you can avoid spiraling, spiraling down that hole that, that is just, just a negative place because you lean into the negative rather than lean into another possibility that is just as likely to happen, you can kind of improve your life. And, and in my case, improve my damn anxiety. So that has been like the book that kind of like has set my tone as far as how I'm going to live my life in my 30s. So. Boom. Thank you. So <laughs> tell people where they can find you on the internet. At Yo Mama. Y-E-A-U-X. That is Y-E-A-U-X M-A-M-A. Um, you go to my website, check out the t-shirts at yomama.com. And then uh, you can find the Hoisms book on Amazon.com. Yes. And that's Hoisms, H-E-A-U-X-I-S-M-S, Hoisms. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not the Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at NotTheWifeyType. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself.